It's summer, so you know what that means. Major Supreme Court rulings. Welcome to The Term. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court for Law 360 here in Washington. And joining me now from New York is co-host and Law 360 editor-at-large, Natalie Rodriguez. How are you, Natalie? Hey, Jimmy. Pretty good. You know, just chucking along like you with the Supreme Court on this uh, seemingly never-ending term. Uh, but this, this week was uh, quite a week for Roberts, huh? It has been quite a term for Roberts. I mean, I think we can now safely say that he holds the cards on the Supreme Court. He has been involved in every major decision so far this term, going from Title VII, DACA, and now we got a few more blockbusters this week in which, once again, he not only cast the swing vote, but he also authored the decisions. We're going to get into those later. Yes, but first, uh, just a quick cert update um, from today, Thursday. Uh, the court took up four new cases. I have to say the next term is already sounding very interesting. I'm, I'm getting excited for it. Um, among some of the cases taken up today were, were regarding a case involving Nazi stolen art. Um, another case uh, alleging Nestle has liability for allegedly aiding slavery on the Ivory Coast. And then, of course, there was the big one. Yeah, that's the Department of Justice versus the House Judiciary Committee. So in this case, the court's going to consider whether the DOJ has to give the House Judiciary Committee unredacted materials from the Mueller grand jury investigation. This has been a brewing battle in the courts between the committee and the Department of Justice. But basically, uh, House Democrats really want to see some of the underlying materials, transcripts, exhibits, etc., that uh, special counsel Robert Mueller collected over the course of his investigation. Um, So the big picture is that the court's decision to take this case means that House Democrats aren't going to have access to those materials in the Mueller report until that case is resolved next term, which is probably not going to be until well after the 2020 presidential election. So uh, a pretty big win. Um, People are casting it, you know, even if it does go ultimately in the committee's favor. I think the fact that this delay is here is going to be a win for the Trump administration. Now, moving to some of the opinions from this term, Uh, Jimmy, like you said, a lot of major ones rolled out. Uh, The top one, I think, for a lot of people this week was the abortion one. Jimmy, can you, can you talk us through that one? Absolutely. The Supreme Court on Monday, by a 5-4 to four vote, struck down a Louisiana law requiring abortion providers to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals. This is a case we've talked about a lot this term, but just to refresh our memories, Chief Justice Roberts was seen as the swing vote, and on Monday he did cast the decisive vote um, in favor of abortion providers, striking down this Louisiana law. He said that it was an unconstitutional burden on abortion access in light of a 2016 decision that involved kind of a virtually identical law. So before we get into Chief Justice Roberts' role on this, uh, can you just refresh us first what the case was about? So Louisiana's Act 620 was a law that required abortion doctors to hold active admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles of where the procedure takes place. Uh, It was passed as kind of an effort. It was cast as a public safety measure for women obtaining uh, abortion, but abortion providers challenged it in court, and a district court ultimately held after a trial that the law served no real public health benefit. Uh, It had no credentialing functions for abortion providers, and it, in fact, would actually drastically reduce abortion access in the state and leave pretty much at most two doctors who could perform the 10,000 abortions that happen in the state each year. 
So SCOTUS watchers will recall that this was pretty much identical to a 2016 case involving an admitting privileges law out of Texas. And in that case, Justice Anthony Kennedy obviously sided with the abortion providers to strike down the law. So a lot of speculation was around what was this new conservative court, you know, with two Trump appointees going to do when confronted with the same law? And we got our answer Monday. So what did the majority say? It's slightly complicated because there was no clear majority. I mean, it was Justice Stephen Breyer who writes a plurality opinion that's joined by the court's liberal justice. So there's four justices on that opinion. And then Chief Justice Roberts, he concurs in the judgment. He, he agrees with the ultimate decision to strike down the law, but he does not sign on to Breyer's opinion and instead writes his own concurrence. Now going to the man of the hour, what did Roberts have to say? So first, Breyer's opinion, he really digs into the record of the case and agrees with the district court's findings that the law serves kind of no medical purpose and would drastically reduce abortion access in the state. That's because, you know, just quickly here, uh, these admitting privileges laws, the abortion providers argued, they really don't have any benefit because abortion is such a safe procedure. And a lot of the reason why doctors can't comply, why they can't get admitting privileges at hospitals is not for reasons having to do with their qualifications whatsoever. Sometimes it's just hospitals don't necessarily want to um, have any affiliation with abortion providers in a deeply conservative state. Other times it's because uh, abortion doctors so rarely um, you know, practice medicine in hospitals that they would be not be able to keep up with the you know requirements that admitting privileges often have where you have to like keep going back to the hospital. So basically... Um, Breyer agrees with all of these reasons about why these this law actually doesn't enhance. It doesn't have any real public safety benefits. And on the other hand, he says that it does, you know, reduce access in the state because, you know, so many doctors won't be able to comply with them. Now, Roberts, in his concurrence, it's it's kind of interesting. He basically says that he doesn't agree with any of that. He doesn't agree that this is at bottom an unconstitutional an unconstitutional burden on abortion access. Um, he basically just says that the whole women's health precedent, which says that these types of laws are unconstitutional, is the controlling precedent here. He says, I joined the dissent in whole women's health and continue to believe that the case was wrongly decided. The question today, however, is not whether whole women's health was right or wrong, but whether to adhere to it in deciding the present case. Can you talk a little bit about what that might signal for some of the future abortion access cases? Yeah, I think it signals a pre- it's a pretty clear statement. It's saying, you know, the only reason that I'm siding, I'm voting the way that I'm voting in this case is because there's a precedent that says that laws like these are an unconstitutional burden on abortion access. He's not saying that he necessarily agrees with that underlying conclusion. So you can imagine that in a future case, Roberts, if he doesn't have that precedent to look to, is going to have to confront the actual legal questions at the center of it. And there's really no telling how he's going to come out on those issues. So I think the only thing that we can take away from this ruling is, yes, it's a big win for the abortion providers in Louisiana who can remain open. However, going forward, it's pretty much going to be Chief Justice Roberts' final say on which abortion regulations stand and which will fall. Beyond that, it's hard to really take much away about the, the future of abortion rights in this country. But it's not just 
the subject of abortion in which Chief Justice Roberts is playing this new outsized role as, as the kind of the most influential member of the Supreme Court. Uh, Natalie, you're going to talk about Monday's ruling in a very important case, uh, SELA Law versus Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Can you kind of set up what happened in that case? Yeah, so just um, as with the abortion ruling, uh, Roberts headlined in this week's opinion, uh, writing for the majority, that the CFPB's single director structure, where the president can only remove the director for cause, i.e. for a reason like negligence or malfeasance, is unconstitutional. Um, It was a big loss for the Bureau, but frankly, it could have gone worse for the CFPB. Um, Roberts played a crucial role here in deciding that while the single director structure is unconstitutional, you know, we're not going to throw the baby with away with the bathwater and, you know, that specific issue can be severed from the Dodd-Frank Act that gives the CFPB its power um, and it, they, the Bureau can continue to operate and basically move forward uh, with its work. So tell me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like what the courts did is say, you know, the president should be able to have more control over the director of the CFPB. Now, even though that's the case, we're not going to go as far as what some parties, including, I think, some dissenting justices um, pointed out and basically striking down the entire agency <laughs> because yeah. it can't be separated from the the law that kind of gave it its authority in the first place. Right. Exactly. The you know, this was a, a potential to gut the agency, basically. Um, and the ruling on Monday avoided that. So let's back up a minute. What's what's the backstory here? How do we get to this um, point in the case? So Seeley Law is a California law firm uh, that had come under investigation by the CFPB over some allegedly unscrupulous marketing or advertising of its debt relief services. Um, when the CFPB came calling with, uh, you know, subpoena the the firm basically pushed back and said you can't investigate us you're unconstitutional because of this structure and if you proceed we'll sue you over it uh which they did and they pursued this through the lower court in the ninth circuit which both ruled against the law firm on the basis of a 1935 supreme court decision and i really want to focus on this because you know i think this 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 1935 case humphrey's executor is really key in understanding both Monday's ruling and kind of the biggest factions among the justices. So Humphrey's executor uh, basically was about the Federal Trade Commission, you know, which also has a for cause removal protection for the members of its leadership structure, um, which was a big, you know, concern about, you know, whether it violated the president's constitutional powers. Um In 1935, the Supreme Court found that the agency was protected, that the the four cause uh, removal protections were were fine. Roberts and the majority on Monday, though, said that extending that precedent, which involved, you know, the multi-member board of the FTC, where the board member tenures are staggered, etc., is basically a case of like apples and oranges, and that you can't really compare it to the single director structure of the CFPB, which Amicus in this in in this case, um, represented by Paul Clement, uh, you know, had been arguing should be taken into account, and he had also pointed to kind of kind of other like examples of where there's this you know for cause removal protection on like the Office of Special Counsel, the Federal mm-hmm. Housing Finance Agency, etc. You know, but 
Roberts and the majority, you know, pointed out these are kind of like more modern and also contested structures. And, you know, that the CPB director just has too much power to be insulated in this way. This case is interesting for so many reasons, not least among them is the fact that, as you mentioned, Paul Clement is the one who's been who was defending the CFPB here as a court appointed amicus um, because the CFPB, obviously, it's part of the federal government and the Trump administration declined to defend the CFPB and actually took the opposite position in the case. Um, But I think it's also interesting because of this issue of how narrow the ruling really was. I mean, okay, sure. Uh, The Supreme Court found the agency structure unconstitutional. But as you mentioned up top, it didn't say that the whole CFPB could fall. But I think another crucial point to the how moderate this decision really was is they didn't go as far as a lot of outside amicus groups and even the petitioner CELA law itself wanted the court to go, which was to overturn that precedent that you were talking about, Humphrey's executor. And so... They wanted the court to say that basically all independent agencies are unconstitutional and that the president should be able to pick and choose, uh, you know, who sits on all the alphabet soup of regulatory agencies in the federal government that make up the executive branch. And so it really was not as broad of a win for, you know, President Trump's control over the executive branch as a lot of outside conservative groups wanted it to be. Definitely. I mean, Justice Thomas and Justice Gorsuch uh, concurred with most of the Roberts opinion, uh, but did take an exception with this. In, in, in the concurrence written by Justice Thomas, you know, he really took issue with Humphrey's executor, uh, basically saying it was bad precedent that has been chipped away at. He considered this decision to continue to chip away at. And he's like, why are we keeping this on, on the books? Um, you know, and that it should be overturned completely. Uh, you know, he he really took issue with the fact that it kind of laid this foundation for uh, and I, this was like one of my favorite quotes from from his uh, opinion uh, to this kind of like departure from constitutional structure with nothing more than hand waving and obfuscating phrases such as quasi legislative and quasi judicial. Um, you know, a, a, po- a point there that he was kind of like alluding to was like. With ni- the 1935 opinion, you know, we start to see this these kind of like wishy-washy, in his view, kind of terms about, well, you know, these these leaders of these agencies, you know, they, they serve a function of, uh, of a legislative function and a, and a kind of judicial function, but it's not the same as, you know, the president or you know, other other members given kind of like those more important powers in the Constitution. Yeah. And I think the broader context here is that there has been a huge attack on, you know, agency power by not only conservative members of the court, but the conservative lawyers that are trying to tee up these cases um, in going after the independence of these agencies is like a crucial part of that effort. But I think that we learned at least, you know, for the time being that it's really only Thomas and Gorsuch that are pushing the like what some would say is the extreme measure of like getting rid of the Federal Trade Commission and Federal Communications Commission and all that stuff. Although I think Roberts really plays a key role in protecting those those agencies in some way. You know, he directly calls out Thomas in his opinion for wanting to kind of junk the severability doctrine uh that that thomas and gorsuch also kind of dissented with you know and and he's like 
and, you know, how could we kind of just start fresh with this $500 million operation, 1,500 employees from the CFPB, like, you know, and, and, you know, he said in his opinion, and I quote, we think it clear that Congress would prefer that we use a scalpel rather than a bulldozer in curing the constitutional defect we identify today. I think that what you just said really captures kind of the dynamic on the Supreme Court right now, where Roberts, yes, he does occupy this central role. It's still a conservative role, but it's just not as far to the right as some of the other members of the court, like Thomas, like Gorsuch, like Alito, um, etc. And so he really he, he really serves as kind of a moderating force, even in an otherwise um, conservative opinion. So Let's, in case people still have an appetite to talk about Roberts this week, we have to get to the last big opinion of the week. And that was in uh, the Montana tax case, Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue. Um, So in this case, the court holds another five to four ruling uh, that the Montana Department of Revenue violated the Constitution when it excluded religious schools from a program that gave tax credits for donations to scholarship funds. So Roberts, who's also the author of the majority opinion in this case, so his third big one big week uh, this for week. Roberts. Yeah, it was a big one. <laughs> um, he says that excluding religious schools from you know these public benefits solely because of religious status, um, you know, violates the free exercise clause of the Constitution. This was a big ruling that progressives really fear will you know further the kind of breaking down of the wall separating uh, church and state. But just another example of Roberts' outsized influence on the court. Well, I'm interested to see whether Roberts will continue to play that kind of outsized role in the opinions to come. Um, I'm hoping all of them will come next week, but we'll see. <laughs> we shall see indeed. But but in any event, we'll be here um, reporting on, yes, what what how some of the remaining cases come out. I, I'm very eager to see, for instance, the Trump taxes uh, case, as well as the uh, dispute involving contraception coverage under the Affordable Care Act. Much more to come. Um, we still don't know how, <laughs> when exactly they're coming, but uh, hopefully soon. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Yeah, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, our executive producer, Amber McKinney, and our contributing reporters this week, Jeff Overly, John Hill, and Maria Coughlin-Aris. Music for the show comes from Slenderbeats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law 360 in the term. Thanks for listening.